Hey, this is Curtis Warren, the middle school pastor of Alderwood Community Church. Right now we're in a series called The Life of David, A Man After God's Own Heart. Our hope and prayer for you is that as you listen to these messages, you're able to examine your own heart as you strive to be an everyday follower of Jesus. Tonight, our big idea, what's the big idea? What do I want you guys to know as we leave here tonight? I'm going to let you know right up front. The first thing, the only thing, if you can leave here with this, it's going to be huge. Okay, the big idea is probably not that. That is not the right one. Uh, Is that sin has consequences even when our hearts repent. Even when we've said we're sorry, even when we repent, even when we say, you know what, my bad, I shouldn't have done that. Last week, I told high schoolers that one of the things that they need to do to make things right is not just to confess their sins to God, but they also have to take that extra step and apologize to the person that they've sinned against. And guys, that usually comes with some kind of consequence. We're familiar with that concept, but tonight we're going to talk about this a little bit more. There's a misconception that we have about forgiveness, that for some reason we think that when we were forgiven, when we say we're sorry, when we're apologized, when we repent, that automatically means that we're free from consequences. That 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 should mean that, that, well, I I shouldn't have to, I I shouldn't have any consequences. There shouldn't be punished for what I've done, right? I said I was sorry. Curtis, you told me that if I went home and, and and I fessed up to my parents that I've been lying to them, that that was the right thing to do. And I said I was sorry and I told him I've been lying to you and then I got grounded. What the heck, man? Well, see, that's because we have a misconception that says because I'm forgiven, I don't have to pay any kind of consequence. But we're going to get into why that is. Why, what, what does it actually mean when we're forgiven? And why do we still have consequences? But to recap, to get to where we are, because I know that we haven't been here every single week for this series, I want to let you know where King David is, how he got there. Okay. So to recap, Israel is our God's people, and they're ruled by a king. That king is? David. No. Saul. No. There you go. God. God is their king. But Israel wants a king like other nations around them. They want to have a physical king that they can see, that they can touch, that they can pay taxes to, that he can like use and send them off to battle. Okay? They want the king that everyone else has. And God graciously grants them a king. Saul is anointed king. Saul looks like a king. He's tall. He, is, he has amazing features. He's handsome, but he's a coward. And he does not honor God in his kingship. So God picks a new king and he picks David, the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. David is anointed king. David actually doesn't get to be king for another 30 years. Okay. He goes, he goes out. Sorry, not 34, 24. But he goes, he goes out and he sees his brothers when they're out uh, at a battle with the Philistines, with King Saul. He sees giant, this guy who's calling out the armies of God and saying, hey, some, send somebody out to fight me. You're all cowards out, you won't. And he starts making fun of Israel's God. And David says, who is this guy? I'll go fight him. And he goes out there, this 14-year-old boy, and he kills the giant named Goliath. Zing, right? Okay. And then... After he kills Goliath, the people of Israel, they love David, become enraptured with David. David is amazing, and they sing David's praises. And when they sing David's praises, Saul gets jealous. Saul gets so jealous, he's trying to kill David. David's on the run. He's running from Saul for decades. Finally, Saul dies. 
and David becomes king over all Israel. God's promise to David becomes true. No sooner does he become king than he starts a downward spiral. Up to this point, he's done amazing things. He's, he hasn't been sinning. And even when he does something even slightly wrong, he, he feels bad about it like immediately. And then David sleeps with his, one of his good friend's wives. She gets pregnant and he has his friend killed. Now David does repent. And this is where we go here. David does repent, but David is not free from the consequences of what he's done. God forgives him. Now, years later, David's other kids are grown. And there is massive turmoil in David's family. We pick up the story in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And there's these two people you need to know about. One is Amnon. Amnon is one of David's sons. And he has many wives, okay? But David's, from, David, from one of David's wives, he has a daughter named Tamar, okay? Her half-brother is a guy named Amnon. Amnon is infatuated. He, guys, he thinks Tamar has got it going on. I know that's weird because like his sister, things were just different back then, okay? But here's the deal. They had different moms. David is their dad. Amnon and Tamar have, uh, are in this story, and this is what begins to happen, is that Amnon devises this plan. He devises a plan where he can get Tamar alone so that he can have her. Now, does this sound any, to anyone like slightly familiar that he's devising a plan? He's being underhanded. He's going behind people's back to get what he wants. Didn't David just do this? It seems like there's a cycle going on in David's family. Something crazy is going on. The effects of David's sin are actually affecting his family. He's not free from consequence. Now, Tamar has a brother who uh, she, he shares a, uh, a mom and the same dad, David. His name is Absalom, and we'll get to him as well. But Amnon basically tricks Tamar into being alone with him. And this is where we pick it up in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 13 and verse 10. So then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom. So she made him food. He was pretending to be sick. Okay, she thinks she's doing something nice for her brother. Bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. How sweet. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Ew. Okay. No, my brother. He said, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Duh. Okay. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? She begins to plead with him. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? If you do this, I'll be disgraced. And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. You're a prince of Israel. This is, a, this is below you. She's appealing to him now. Please speak to the king. Please talk to our dad. He will not keep me from being married to you. Let's do this the right way. But he refused to listen to her. And since she was, he was stronger than she, he raped her. This is nuts, guys. I know that some of us hear things like that in God's word. And we go, why in the world would God choose to record this in his word? Like, what in the, like, there's guys, read the Old Testament. There's some messed up stuff in there. Why 
Would he do that? Okay, this is truly something that is terrible, right? Truly something terrible. And it gets worse. But the question remains, why would we record something like this in Scripture? Well, we'll get to that, because I know that's a question that pops up. Why? Okay, well, and I'll, if you give me a moment, we'll go there. But the first thing I want you to understand, the first application, the first thing that I want you to, to pull away from this part of the story is that being forgiven doesn't mean that there are no consequences. Just because David is forgiven, David's sin is forgiven. God does not hold it against his account. God's not sitting up there going, David, you remember that time? Do you remember that time when you did the thing that you shouldn't have done? God's not holding it against him. God's not, God's not up there keeping track of David's sin. He's been forgiven, but the consequences of his sin still deeply affect his life. David forgiven, he's still the king over all of Israel. The Messiah, Jesus, will eventually come through the line of David. That's still going to happen. However, his sinfulness has caused this downward spiral in his family. It's beginning to affect his children. Now, I ask, why, why would we put this in scripture? Why would God allow a story like this to be in his word? Well, I will give you this, is that some examples we are given in scripture are prescriptive, meaning they are things that we ought to do. Things that we're being told, hey, do this. Some things in scripture are precautionary. And it means these are things we ought not to do. And much of David's children's lives and the things that they do are a cautionary tale about what happens when we let sin run rampant in our lives. So the next thing that I want you guys to see, because this is not just affecting David, is that our sin does affect other people. What we do matters, guys. David's family is completely out of control, and it started with David's sin with Bathsheba. And last time that we talked about David's sin with Bathsheba, we, we talked about that we need a Nathan. We need somebody like this guy, Nathan, who called David out in his sin, who's man enough to step up and tell David, what you've done is wrong. What if somebody had come up and stopped Nathan, or stopped David, sir? in the process? What if somebody who knew what was going on early on in the process had said, David, this isn't it's beneath you. You're the king. You're supposed to represent God to his people. Man, what's going on with you? But that's not what happens. And now David's sin is affecting his family. Not only does his son rape his daughter, but then Amnon hates Tamar. He hates this his sister after this is over. This is just a side note here, but our sinful desires, things that we do that we know we shouldn't do, guys, usually this is what happens. We do it, and then we hate that we've done it. Maybe it's that you, you lie to your parents, and then immediately you're like, why did I do, like, what is wrong, stupid? Why did I do that? I don't, I don't want to lie to them. And when we begin to cover up, David did with Bathsheba. And I, didn't, I didn't want to look at that. I, like, I, I didn't want to look at that on the computer. And, and, but, but I'm going to erase, I'm going to erase the computer history like that. That's going to make up for it. And it won't, it won't mean anything. 
It's not there, but man, I hate, I hate myself for that. And we begin this, this, this self-loathing that we will call shame. And I think the reason that Amnon hated Tamar is that he began to feel shame. And what we do is begin to, begin to project our shame onto other people. And our sin begins to affect others. Because we don't want anyone to get close to us now because they're going to see the ugliness that we have inside of us. And we're going to talk about that next week a little bit more. Because I think that when we see that ugliness inside of us, what it does to us, yes, our sin causes us to have a rift, to have distance in our relationship with God. But it's not a distance that God wants to stay there. But what it does to us is it tells us for some reason we buy this lie that what, it, that what sin does is it makes us unable to approach God. That for some reason we buy this lie that says, well, now I can't approach God. I can't get close to God. He won't want me anymore because we feel shame. We go further on in the story and Absalom actually kills Amnon. He avenges his sister's honor by killing Amnon. And, and any of you that have a sister or uh, any of you guys in here, older guys that maybe have a daughter or moms that have a daughter, maybe you understand that kind of anger. He's angry about what happened to his sister. And Absalom devises a plan to get Amnon alone after enough time has passed that Amnon probably begins to think like, oh, like we're cool. It's water under the bridge. It's, it's done. It's over with. He does suspect Absalom is seeking revenge for what happened with Tamar. And we pick this story up in 2 Samuel 13, verse 28. It says, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Ammon is high, in high spirits, from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike on down, then kill him. So Absalom's men did to Amnon, Absalom ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their horses and fled. Because honestly, this was stuff that used to happen, right? Like if you had multiple sons and you were a king, this is not something that should be happening in the nation of Israel, right? But this is something that happened in the nations around it. When you had multiple sons and you were a king, what happened? You died. Last man standing is king. The sons of the kings used to kill each other. And so they think, it's starting, man, out of here. And they all take off. He kills his own brother. Do you guys see something that happened here? Sexual sin, then followed by murder. What happened in David's life? Sexual sin, followed by? Do you see a cycle beginning to take hold of David's family? David is not free from the consequences of his sin, but he is forgiven. The promise God gave to him is not void. He's forgiven. But guys, sometimes we got to own up and we got to be men and we got to be women and we got to accept the consequences for what we've done, knowing that there's forgiveness ultimately offered in Jesus Christ, offered God through his son. Application number three, God is faithful in good times and in the bad. He's faithful in both, right? Absalom doesn't just kill Amnon. He has ambitions 
of stealing the kingdom from David. It goes beyond this. You know what Absalom's thinking? My dad didn't do anything about what happened. He's not fit to kill. I'm going to be king. And he begins to devise a plan to take over the, king, the kingdom. In 2 Samuel 15, Absalom begins to win over the hearts of the people. And he actually incites a political coup, which sends David on the run. By 2 Samuel 17, Absalom is killed and David mourns him. Why? Isn't Absalom trying to kill him? Yes, but Absalom is still his son. And then he returns to Jerusalem as king. David is a pretty defeated man by this point. This man after God's own heart. He's had a rough go of it, guys, but it's been self-inflicted. During this time, though, here's the amazing thing. David writes a majority of this amazing book of the Bible called the Psalms. These amazing songs of praise to God. And he writes some of the most amazingly beautiful psalms, which indicate the depth of his relationship with God, even when things suck, during this time in his life. When he's on the run from his son, who's trying to kill him. Like, it's different when you're on the run from Saul, who's not his dad, but kind of treated him like a son. It's different when his own son's trying to kill him. I mean, for example, Psalm 3, Psalm 62, Psalm 63. You guys can read these when you go home, but I'm actually going to read Psalm 3. I want you to hear David's heart and how David still relies on the Lord and how David still loves God and understands that God is still good even when things aren't good. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord. He answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again. Why? Because the Lord sustained me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. Mere blessing beyond your people. Does that sound like a guy who's done? No. But does his life suck? Yes. Absolutely it does right now. David could have blamed God. He could have pointed the finger. He could have said, God, what's up, man? I said I was sorry. I, I repented. I did the right thing. I know I messed up, but God, I said I'm sorry. Mom, dad, I said, I'm sorry. Isn't that good enough? I feel bad, but no. David could have sat back and said, what gives God? And we tend to love God when things are great, but we're angry when we have to reap the consequences of our own actions. I I want you guys to think about this. With my own children, if they came to me, Travis and Cadence, most of you guys seen my kids, you know my kids. Travis and Cadence come to me and they go, Travis goes, uh, I kick sissy in the face. What happens? And, and he goes, but daddy, I'm sorry. And I go, it's cool, dude. You're sorry. 
And I send him on his way. And he comes back to me like 10 minutes later. He goes, Daddy, I kicked Sissy in the face. And she's crying. And I say, oh, that's okay, son. Are you sorry? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry. Now, he's getting my forgiveness, but what is so learning? Nothing. He's learning nothing. He's learning the forgiveness is cheap. And my grace means nothing. And if we don't reap the consequences for our actions, what we think is that God is weak and we think that his grace is cheap. He forgives us on an eternal level. He gives us, he gives us the ability to have a relationship with him, be with him forever through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. But that doesn't mean that when you guys do something stupid here on earth, there won't be a consequence. If you own up for your sin, which you should, because you should restore the relationships that are broken, you may have to do some work. You might get grounded. You might tell that teacher that you cheated on a test and you may fail the class. But the relationship is restored. You guys, eternal forgiveness does not equal freedom from temporary consequences. Forgiveness is a clearing of the account, but it's not a bypass. It's not a, a glancing over of consequences. Because I love my dog. Some of you guys saw my dog. I brought him in here now. He's like, he's like 15, 16 pounds now. He's a black lab. He's going to be ginormous one day now. I can hold him, right? And, and I brought him down here. And I love Gunner. I love him, man. But guess what? He's still a puppy. And so he hasn't figured out. Like, he figured out pretty quickly. Oh, it's good when I pee outside and I poop outside. Like they love that and they praise me. And every time you go out, he does it. But he hasn't figured out that that also means don't do it inside. You guys catch me? He hasn't he's figured that out yet. He hasn't put that together. I love my dog and I forgive him when he's on my floor. I don't hold it against him. I don't like start hating him because he keeps messing up. I'm not, oh, that's the last time you peed on the floor. Like he's going to the pound. He's out of here. No more forgiveness. That's not it, right? But here's the thing. I also want him to learn not to be stupid. So I rub his nose in it. There's a consequence for his actions. I don't stop loving him or want to get rid of him. If I can do that with my dog, how much more does God want to do that with you? He's not done with you because we screw up. But it doesn't mean we get to walk around with free passes. David understands something very deep, and it's shown here in Psalm 3, something very deep at the core of a growing relationship with God. Is that God is faithful in good times and bad. You guys, next week, we're going to look at what we do when things fall apart. What do we do when things absolutely fall apart? When the consequences of our sin seem like they're too much. You guys, because if you think the consequences of David's sin here look bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Next week, things are going to get crazy. By the time David actually does what he ought to do, more than 70,000 people die. Next week. So where do we run? What do we turn to when the consequences of our sin are overcoming us? So we're going to look at next week. But this week, 
Let's recap real quick. I want you guys to know what we're doing, what we're going home with. You guys, sin has consequences even when our hearts repent. And it seemed like a bummer, but here's the deal. Being forgiven doesn't mean no consequences. Our sin affects others, but here's the nugget, the golden nugget here is that God is good. God is faithful in good times and in the bad. And he shows up for David and he's showing up for you. Let me close and we'll get the band back up here. God, thank you so much for the fact that you show us through the life of David. It's a precautionary tale. We should look at this, this story of what's going on in David's life and realize this is what we ought not to be doing. But God, I, I pray that we would never in this room, these students would never consider that just because they're going through something tough because of sinful actions they've done, sinful actions I've done, that that for some reason means that you don't love them. That that for some reason means that you won't forgive them. God, we are forgiven and our debt is clear and we simply come to you and acknowledge that we are in need of a Savior. We're in need of Jesus to forgive us of our sins. But God, here and now, there's consequences to what we do. I pray that these students would, would come back next week and find out what do we do when the consequences just seem too big. It's in your name we pray. Amen.